This morning we'll be in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. The passage, the verses that we're about to read this morning are some of the most interesting to me in the New Testament, not just because of the theology that it presents, which is great, the theology in this passage is great, but also because of the confrontation that is recorded here between Paul and Peter. Paul had to confront Peter to his face in front of the entire church because Peter had ceased to model the gospel for the church. There must have been a very awkward moment for the Christians there at Antioch. I can't imagine what this must have been like. But it was necessary because the gospel was at stake. Peter, in his hypocrisy, had begun to rebuild the very wall which he had once proclaimed had been broken down. And it was beginning to cause a rift in the church and it was confusing the people in regard to what the gospel is and how we should behave after the gospel. And it was defeating the fellowship of the church. And Jesus said, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. And so if we don't love one another, then it doesn't matter if our doctrine is right and sound. We will not win anyone to the Lord. And in fact, we won't be very pleasant to be around ourselves. So today I'll begin reading in Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, we'll go through 21. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, because he feared those, the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, If you, who are a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no human being will be justified. But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, And Christ died for nothing. These are strong words. You have to remember, in Galatia, some false teachers have come there and they're challenging Paul's apostolic authority. They're challenging the gospel which Paul preached and they're challenging and saying the exact thing. Whoever these people were who had infiltrated the church at Antioch and led Peter and Barnabas astray, they're the same people who found their way to Galatia and were teaching the same erroneous doctrine that they had taught in Antioch. Paul had seen it before and he wasn't having it. So we begin today with Paul's confrontation of Peter in front of the entire church. 
He said that in verse 14, when I saw they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas, that's Peter, in front of everyone. He confronted Peter in front of the entire church. So why didn't he, why didn't Paul just pull Peter aside and talk to him about these things in private first? Why didn't he say, hey, Peter, what's going on, man? Why are you, why are y'all not eating with the Gentiles anymore? Why have you created like this Gentile section and the Jew section? What is going on here? We need to work this out. We don't want to cause a scene. Unfortunately, Peter's hypocrisy was so bad that Paul had no choice but to address it in front of the entire church because the entire church had been affected by this hypocrisy. Everyone knew what was happening. When Peter had come to Antioch, he was eating with the Gentiles and he was fellowshipping with them at their mealtime. But when these guys from the circumcision party came, Peter stopped eating with them and it became obvious. And not only Peter, but slowly, one by one, all the Jews began to withdraw themselves and eat only with these from the circumcision party, leaving the Gentiles out to eat by themselves and feel like they are not truly part of God's people. The Jews were probably confused at Peter's behavior, but they followed him. He was their apostle. Even Barnabas had withdrawn. And imagine what it must have felt like to be one of those Roman or Greek converts when the Jews would no longer sit down and eat with you. What would that have made you think? This was nothing but prejudice in action. And that's why Paul says here, we were born Jewish, we were not Gentile sinners. He's not saying that Gentiles are any worse than the Jews. In fact, his very argument is we are exactly the same as them. That's what he's arguing right here. He's using Gentile sinners to emphasize exactly how he was making the Gentiles feel when they refused to sit and eat with them. Because before God, through Christ, had torn down the dividing wall, the barrier between Jew and Gentile, then the Jews would have been unclean eating under the roof with these Gentile people because they were not keeping the law of God. But when Jesus Christ and his crucifixion smashed down the wall, when the law of God was not the way Israel was to live anymore, now we are to live by faith in the Son of God. They were not held under the tutor of the law any longer. There was not to be this kind of separation between those, the people. So what's going on here is nothing but prejudice. It's nothing but racism. The Jewish people in this church beginning to talk about the Gentiles as if they are sinners, as if because they are not Jews, they are more sinful than the Jews. That they are more immoral by birth, that somehow they inherited more depravity, that they were morally inferior. And this was not the first time that this prejudice had shown itself. Remember, early in the church, the Gentile widows were overlooked. In the daily giving of bread, the Gentile widows were not getting the same portion that the Jewish widows were getting. And so they had to appoint seven men to oversee this to make sure that the Gentile widows were no longer being overlooked in the benevolence of the church. This is the second time at least that this prejudice began to show itself in the church. And the Jewish people who were coming in amongst the Gentiles, they were saying, look, you've got to become like us if you want to be. In the kingdom of God, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to start acting Jewish. You've got to start being like us. Your customs, unclean. You're Gentile sinners. You need to start being more like Jews. This is just prejudice. 
And it's going to continue, and it has continued since that day until this one. We like to divide ourselves up by tribes, and we like to think of ourselves as superior than others. This is how 1,600 years later that we would justify the transatlantic slave trade by saying that one race was superior to another, that those folks were morally superior. And you will hear it today. I heard it yesterday that somehow people who are not like us, mostly white people in here, not white like us, you don't think like us, they're, they live in this part of town and you don't go over there. That Somehow we have in our mind that people are more or less morally superior, inferior or smarter or dumber or whatever they are because they don't look like us. And that is a failure of the gospel. It's a failure of the gospel. Once justification by faith alone and Christ alone by grace alone is diminished, then you start having these problems. It's why it broke the relationships between the Jew and the Gentile in the Antioch church. Because people began to think of themselves as morally superior and perhaps superior in every other way as well. Deviating from the truth of the gospel. You know, this is mistakes missionaries would make. They would go here. We would go here from, go to Africa from America to take the gospel to people who hadn't heard it before. But we didn't just bring the gospel. We tried to make them act like us. We tried to dress them like us. We tried to make them sing our songs and do our things and look like our church here. And that is not what the gospel does. Everyone adopts it and makes it there. The gospel never changes, but the people, they can preach the gospel and they can be however they want and whoever they want because there's freedom in Christ. Remember Paul said that those Judaizers were sent to spy on the freedom that we have in Jesus. We don't get to do that. And that's the temptation. That we think that because we have the gospel, then the way that we behave is the right way. But that's not right. We don't get to do that. <laughs> we are sort of a, a laid back. I'll, I'll be nice. I, I won't say lame, but we're a little bit laid back in our worship. I'm reminded of a, a sermon I heard once about Peter and Paul. When they were, I mean, sorry, Peter and John as they were walking through the beautiful gate. And the guy was there, and he was begging for alms. You remember this? And Peter said, hey, look at me. And the guy looked at him thinking he was going to get some money. He said, silver and gold have I none. But what I do have in the name I give to you, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And this guy starts jumping up and down and shouting. <laughs> yeah, so what happens when that happens, a bunch of Baptists will get together. Hey, we, we don't do that here. We don't jump up and down and shout. Just try to be dignified when you sing, for goodness sake. You can close your eyes a little. You can close your eyes a little. If you're really feeling it, you may can, you know, do this a little bit. But no shouting, no jumping, okay? It's not how we do it here. Don't do that. Don't do that. You don't get to do that. We don't get to decide how people worship, how they live and what they do. And you don't get to think that because you don't do it that that's the right way. It's not true. This sort of prejudice was here in Galatia. And Paul says it's not just a matter of you being awkward. It's a matter of you messing with the gospel itself. And they weren't just saying, hey, look, even if they weren't all teaching, even if Peter never told them, look, guys, you've got to be circumcised in order to be saved, there's no evidence that Peter ever gave in to this false gospel. Okay, this is very important. I want you to catch this. Nowhere does it say that Peter began to preach a false gospel, but he began to sit and eat with those who did. And so he gave cover 
for all those men who'd come into the church teaching false gospel and sat and ate only with Jews, he began to make the Gentiles feel like, hey, Peter's sitting and eating with them and he's not eating with us. Is what they're saying true? Are we really morally, spiritually inferior to those men who've come from James? The gospel isn't measured only by the propositions we believe, but also by the life we live as well and how we love others. So Paul stands up in front of everyone and he confronts Peter. And what he teaches there is that no one is justified by their birth, no one is justified by their works, no one is justified by the law. What is his argument? He uses the word, as I said earlier, Gentile sinner, ironically. Because the first thing he says is, hey, Peter, I got a question for you. This must have been so awkward. If you, who live like a Gentile, what does that mean? What does that mean? I mean, right there, he cut right into the heart of Peter. If you, who live like a Gentile. Is that an insult? Is it an insult to say he's living like a Gentile? Paul is saying here, first of all, you live like a Gentile in that you preach salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's how the Gentiles live. But also, maybe Peter wasn't keeping kosher like he used to. He used to sit and eat with the Gentiles. He wasn't keeping kosher. So he was trying to have the best of all of his world, right? He was wanting to live with the Gentiles and, and not keep kosher. Maybe he had eaten bacon. He was like, I'm never going back. And then he begins to withdraw. And during the time that the Judaizers is there, he's eating with them. Paul says, how can you live like a Gentile compel the Jews, I mean the Gentiles, to live like Jews? You're not even living like a Jew. What are you doing? Gentiles are no better or worse than Jews when it comes to sinning. We're all equal opportunity sinners. Paul says that we, he says we, everyone has believed in Christ to be justified by grace through faith and not by works. He says here, we, he's talking about the Jews, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we ourselves have believed in Jesus Christ. He says, look, Peter, you and I believed in Jesus Christ by faith because we knew we couldn't be justified by the law. So why are you making these Gentiles feel like they've got to keep the law in order to be saved? You're not even keeping the law. No Jew has ever kept the law. It's always been salvation by grace through faith. We ourselves have believed in Christ. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no human being will ever be justified. Nobody keeps the law. There are no better people. In fact, Jesus Christ said there are no good people. Why do you call me good? There's no one good but God alone. That's what Jesus said. There are no good people. There are no morally superior people. And no one is justified by works. Paul's saying, look, Peter, this, this part about the dividing wall and stuff, I don't want you to get confused about it because it's, it's, it's really a profound argument. When he says here, if I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. What is he saying? He's talking to Peter. And he's saying, Peter, here's what you did. You went out preaching salvation by grace through faith and crossed alone. That no one can be justified by works of the law. That only by faith can we be saved. And now you're sitting with these Jews and you're saying, well, you've got to keep the law of Moses. So it's like Peter kicked the wall down. And now then he's kind of picking back up a few blocks and saying, yeah, but 
maybe you should keep you should be circumcised like the rest of the Jews, and maybe we should maybe not eat pork. I mean, where's this going to end? He's just putting back up the dividing wall which he had already broken down. He said, Paul, Peter, if you do this, if you live like this, you show yourself to be a lawbreaker because what you preached before was wrong. Christ would be a promoter of sin. How, what does he mean there? Why would Christ be a promoter of sin? Because Jesus Christ himself said that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. Would Jesus preach salvation by faith alone and himself alone and promote sin by teaching the Jews to come away from the law of Moses? God forbid, absolutely not. Paul is pointing out to Peter that he had been a liar. He had been a liar if salvation was not by justification, if salvation was not justification by faith alone, through grace alone. And then Paul says something very profound that should be for each one of us this morning. He says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. What does that mean to die to the law? And that the law, through the law, he died to the law. He's talking about being crucified by Jesus Christ. Here's the law. We can just sum it up. How many, how many laws y'all want me to get to this morning? Love the Lord your God and serve him only. How about that one? How you doing? Love your neighbor as yourself. Do not covet. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. The law puts us to death because we have done those things. Every single one of us have done those things. We lie we cheat we steal we're prideful we covet we don't love god as we should we don't trust in his providence we don't seek first the kingdom of god we seek our own kingdoms we do this jesus christ dies on the cross and the death that we deserve because of our law breaking falls upon him so through the law i died to the law because i'm crucified with christ the old man I was died and the law put me to death. On the day when you were converted, when I am converted, when Jesus Christ comes into our heart, and in fact, every day it can happen today. You see yourself as a lawbreaker deserving of death. If you don't understand that your lawbreaking and that your sin against God is deserving of death and hell, then you can't be a Christian. Because it's only then that we can be desperate enough to cast ourselves upon the mercy of Christ. Every single day. And so the law kills me. Truly, the person I was died. When God revealed to me that I am a sinner in need of grace, the person I was died. I knew that old person had to go. Because if that person continued to live, I would surely die. And so would you. And so, Lord, have mercy on my sin. And he dies for me. And when I see Jesus lifted up, dying for me, I cannot be that person anymore. Because he loved me and he gave himself for me. When the old man comes to life, the best way to kill him is to see Jesus on the cross. Dying for my sin. I cannot live that way anymore. The law has put me to death. Does that mean the law is bad? No, the law is good. The law is good because it teaches me that I need Christ. We are crucified with Christ. We are dead to the law as a means of justification. It would never justify us. It never justified a single Jewish person. It never justified anyone. And we are dead to our old selves. Our old person died. 
so that we might live. Jesus said this, whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. I give it away. It's yours. I do not want to keep the old life because I've seen what it was and I've seen where it leads. I have been crucified with Christ. I pray you have too. And I no longer live. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you. I adjure you. I admonish you, brothers and sisters, by the tender mercies of Christ, present yourselves as a living sacrifice to God. Crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The one who I was is dead. I cannot be that person anymore. Christ lives in me. I live as Christ would have me live. I do as Christ would have me do. And that's life. Before I was alive, but I was dead. <laughs> now I'm dead, but I'm alive. That's the beauty of the gospel. And what is it about this that has to do with how we relate to each other? Because that's what drove Paul to this point, is it not? Separation between Jew and Gentile. You got to give up your pride. You have to give up your identity that you used to have. And the new identity you have is child of God, follower of Christ. And in that place, everyone is equal. Because in that place, you see that everyone is equal. And you see that all these superiorities, all these prides, all these things we use to build ourselves up to put others down, all that is is trying to justify ourselves and make ourselves better when we are not. Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? <laughs> when you see yourself as a worm, actually, I always tell people, worm is a favorable comparison because I never knew a worm that sinned against God. As far as I know, all the worms are doing his will. Sinners worse. When we give up those superiorities and those ideas that we are flaunting, that we are a better than others, that keep us separated from them. And I'm not just talking about race. I'm talking about the person who doesn't have a home, the homeless person. I'm talking about the person who has a mental disorder. I'm talking about the person who is hooked on drugs. You're not better than those people. You're not. That person needs Jesus. Exactly the same way you do. This is why Christians are able to give away their lives. This is why Jesus can say, hey, when somebody comes up and asks you for their cloak, for your cloak, go ahead and give them your shirt. Do you think they might need it? They might need it. They need Jesus. They need stuff. I, I'm worried about these folks. How can we help them see that Christ can set them free? Christ lives in us. Christ died for us. Christ gave himself for us. He loved us. And this is why we live differently. This is why we love differently. This is why we cannot give up. The sort of love that Jesus has for us should kill our pride. We aren't saved because we're good, had a good family, and didn't sin as much as other people. We realize that we, like Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. Or as John the Baptist said, the one who comes after me, I'm not worthy to bend down and unlatch his sandal. Jesus loved us no matter what we did, what we could have done, what we have done. He died for us and he lives for us. He offers this to everyone. 
I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, listen, who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ loved me and gave himself for me. You want to talk about moral superiority? Jesus had it. He's better than me. In every way. Every way he was better than me. And what did he do? He gave himself for me. He died for me. Even if I were morally superior to others, which I am not. The thing which I should be doing if I wanted to be Christ-like would be humbling myself and giving myself for them, not taking advantage. Jesus used to go around healing people. The lepers, you remember he touched the lepers. The Bible says in the Old Testament, people with leprosy are unclean. He touched them and they became clean. He went to the house of a Pharisee and a prostitute came in. Began to wash his feet with her tears. The man sitting at the table said, if he knew what kind of woman this was, he would not let her touch me. Dirty people. Sinful people. Unworthy to be touched people. Jesus said, Woman, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Then he said to Simon, there was a man, I want to tell you a story, a man who owned a guy, we're going to put this in English, okay, 50 bucks. There's a guy who owned him, 5 million bucks. And he sat down and he forgave both of them all their debts. Who do you think will love the man more. And the Pharisee said, well, I guess the one who was forgiven the most debt. And Jesus said, you've spoken well. When I came in your house, you didn't even give me water to wash my feet. And this woman has not ceased to wash my feet with her tears since I walked in. You didn't give me any kiss, and yet she has not ceased to kiss my feet since I walked in the door. No greeting, no water for my feet, nothing. And I'm telling you, this woman... Is going home justified because of her faith. Child of God. What about you, Simon? What about you? When you start thinking that other people are dirty, unclean, not worthy, can't be touched, out of sight, that we're better, you are in a bad, bad place. Because that is wickedness and hatred and the opposite of the gospel. And it's not just about holding to the right doctrines, but it's about living a life of love. And if you cannot marry those two, you have not yet lived or seen or truly known the gospel and its saving power. It's not just saving us from incorrect thought. Saving us from sin. Not loving one another is sin. If we could do it ourselves, there was no reason for Jesus to die. Paul said if we can be justified by the law, there's no reason for Jesus to die. He died for nothing. But since we can't be justified by the law and since we can't be justified by the works and since every single one of us are sinners in need of deep grace, Jesus died for us because he loved us. He gave himself for us.
He still does. Even today, the Lord is interceding for us. Even today. So that we do not despair. For the Lord himself makes intercession for us. The Holy Spirit prays for us in all of our sin and all of our wickedness and all of our pride. He is praying for us. Still giving himself for us today. What's the way to be saved? What must we do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. But I'm going to tell you what happens when you believe on him. When you believe in him and you see yourself as a sinner who needs him, you'll change. And that idea, that love, the gospel, Christ giving himself for us, will root itself in your heart. And you'll walk in sin, but you'll find it keeps running into this love and it starts changing you. It's going to be painful, but he will turn you. You will not Live like that. And he will never stop challenging you. He will never stop convicting you. He will never stop using you. Even your failures will demonstrate his magnificence when we rise again to do what is right. He is good. And he is giving himself for you this morning. So listen to me, church. The gospel of Christ is beautiful and free. He has given himself for us one and all. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And once we have this in our heart, we must love others with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. Love them. Be patient with them and bear with them. So that all the world might know that Christ is indeed Lord. And that they're keeping the old life is not worth it. Let's pray. Father, we ask this.